I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. Four epic words. You are an Iron Man. These are the famous words of the famed finish line announcer, Mike Riley as you cross the finish line of the Hawaii Ironman. This is Matt Dixon, the Purple Patch Podcast, and today we talk all things Kona. Those that have had the privilege will tell you that there is nothing else like it. No matter the quality of your day, walking, running, or yes, even crawling down the red carpet to the finish line and hearing those words can bring about floods of emotions for athletes of every level. Today. We're going to dive into Kona. What makes it special? Why is it so challenging relative to other races? What's the real performance of those at the pointy end of the race? And, of course, a little bit of education and some perspective. What are some of the common mistakes, a path to success, at least what I believe the path to success, and some important perspective and advice for those that are heading to race for the first time. You don't have to be a triathlete to appreciate this one, but if you are competing, or at least if you have aspirations to compete at some stage, well, we might just call this unmissable. But before we get into the lava fields, Let's do word of the week. We like the way he thinks. Serious with the way. Let's open the book. It's time to take a peek. It's the dictionary word of the week. This week, the word of the week, altitude. Altitude. Yes, it's a special word of the week for Kate Slee, who's from White Stable. Don't worry, Kate. I'm not that Americanized yet. Whitstable in Kent, England. Kate, I know you're going to understand. So altitude, getting into thin air, which is a performance limiter, as we well know, for endurance athletes. But at the same time, it has a long history of suitable training venue to gain additional positive adaptations for athletes that are training in such an environment. Well, for word of the week, what we're going to do is talk about how to prepare for competition at altitude. So if you're heading to a race while training at sea level, this is a challenge. You train hard, but you've got to go and do a race at altitude. Well, what are the quick ABCs? Well, here's a few. How can I get there to maximize my performance and try and mitigate the effect of that very thin air? Well, the first thing, ironically, is heat training. See, many of the adaptations that occur with altitude can actually be achieved with heat stress, Really carefully done, similar prep sessions that we might use for performance in heat, such as the Hawaii Ironman, today's main topic of meat and potatoes, will also help at altitude. And the reason for that is it boosts your blood volume and has an array of other benefits. I'm going to leave our heat protocol in the show notes for you if you're interested, so you can find out how to integrate it into your training in the final two to three weeks before you head up high. The second thing to be aware of is the 3% rule, as I would call it, and that's that you have to adapt to the reality of the effect of altitude in itself. So for every 1,000 feet that you go over 3,000 feet, or let me say it another way, for every 300 meters you go over over about 1,000 meters of elevation, you should expect about a 3% drop in performance. So if you're going to go and compete at 2,000 meters, 
or 6,000 feet, rounding up, rounding down, you can expect about a 10% reduction in your performance. So at any given output, you're going to expect a heart rate that's about 10% higher or your power being about 10% lower at the same metabolic stress. It's a good rule of thumb. And what that means is you've got to get a pragmatic mindset and ensure that you get your pacing and output right and not ignore this undeniable physiological fact. The third component is hydration. You are going to become dehydrated quicker at altitude. So don't miss out, especially in the early part of your races and when you head up to the environment. A little bit hydration, not camel-like, but a little bit more hydration is going to help you out. Fourth, stay calm. The initial part of the race, especially for athletes such as triathletes where the swim comes first, You must remain calm. Chasing with vigor will only lead to heart rate spikes and, quite typically, panic attacks. So when you're starting, really be calm, building to the efforts, because if you shock and awe the system, you're just going to start to hyperventilate. Number five, boost the carbs. You burn more carbs at altitudes, and so longer events need more carbohydrate. So be aware of that, and if you get a chance to go up and train, you might be aware of that, that if you deprive yourself of carbs, you're going to bonk a little earlier. So don't forget the fueling. And finally, number six, don't try and get up there and adapt too early. You see, generally, there's very little benefit from getting to the location additional eight days in advance of the race, unless You can go more than 21 days or three weeks or so, as ultimately it's only going to compromise your sleep and recovery. Instead, arrive at your regular time, try and take care of some of these adaptations you can do in front, have a pragmatic mindset, and realize that overall altitude is just another variable in stress. So the key word in there is pragmatism. Just like if you are competing in 110 degrees, you can't ignore the thin air. It might take a shift in assumptions and approach, but you can perform great within context of your environment. I hope that helps. Kate, I hope you enjoy Whitstable, very nice place, just over the river from where I grew up in Essex. Yeah, I'm an Essex man. I didn't know if you realised that. But anyway, let's get on with the meat and potatoes. So yes, the Hawaii Ironman World Championships, located on the big island out of the town Kailua Kona in Hawaii. So we could do a show, just tips for success for Hawaii, and we will get there. I'm going to talk about what I think it takes to be successful, framing the right performance mindset, and even some advice from first-timers that are heading over. But ultimately, that's going to narrow the show. Instead, I want to take a step back. I want to actually talk about my experiences at Hawaii and what I think makes it a really, really special occasion within endurance sports as a whole. So first, I think we should take a step back, as many of you guys are not triathletes and not intimate with the race itself, or I'm sure that you've probably heard of it. Let's talk about the history, the setting, and the occasion a little bit. So here are the things. The course breakdown. So athletes have to swim 2.4 miles, so that's 3.8 kilometers, and that swim is non-wetsuit in an ocean, and it's an ocean full of swell. 
They then hop on their bikes for a nice, casual, easy, breezy ride for a nice, enjoyable 112 miles or 180 kilometers. And finishing that for dessert, it's a marathon, 26.2 miles or 42 kilometers of running. This race has been going on for about 40 years, and each year they have 50 male pros and 35 women pros racing. Yes. That is cuckoo. It should be equal. It's a piece in the sport. I'm sure it will change, but at the moment there's a discrepancy of numbers. But anyway, 50 pros and 35 female pros. There are a total of about 2,500 amateur athletes that come from over 70 countries. The oldest competitor, typically somewhere in the 80s. The youngest, somewhere around 18. And the average age for this crazy endurance challenge is in the mid 40s, as you might have expected. So, who gets to go to this race? Well, it's the World Championship, so the majority of the athletes that are arriving here are qualifying. The professionals have to go through a series of qualification races to get their spot on the island. The age groupers have to qualify through an Ironman event, and very few half Ironman or Ironman seventy point three events that are dotted around the world globally. In addition, there are a few legacy spots, and the legacy spots are those invitations for athletes that have done a whole bunch of Ironman triathlons all over the world, and finally deserve their place on the island. Due to really, in all honesty, loyalty to the brand, and finally, a few special guests. We'll always get a few little、uh, celebrities that come to go and take on the challenge, or some other guests from outside of the industry. So, what makes this race, this event, this week on the Big Island so special and so challenging? Well, I'll let you into a little secret to start because you think the Hawaii Ironman—they must be riding through a beautiful course, and there must be palm trees and beaches on the side. It's not the course that makes it special. Well, it's the course that makes it challenging, but this is no beauty. This is a beast. It is hot and humid. Seriously, I want you to imagine running on a treadmill in a sauna, and it's a little bit like that. But hotter, the wind can blow you sideways, and it isn't predictable. It changes all the time, and the whole occasion that we'll get into is a great facilitator of emotional and physical breakdowns. But the ironic thing is, this iconic race that we hear so much isn't really a very pretty course. It has a great swim that you can get to look at fish under the water, but the ride is windswept and nasty and emotional, and the run is designed to take you to the edge of your emotional and physical resilience. So let's go through it a little bit, and let me try and give you some insight into the challenge of swim, bike, and run that it comes. Well, with the swim, it is open water and it is wavy, and those waves are actually less chop. Chop, 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 making it more difficult to swim, and instead big swells as you're coming into this bowl-shaped bay that is Kailua Kona, and the swell is moving the swimmers around. So one of the components that comes out is many athletes spending an hour, seventy-five minutes, ninety minutes, up to almost two and a half hours in this water. They can come out with well, sea legs, seasickness. That's a challenge. The second component of the swim that is challenging is what I would call high density swimming. So there are twenty five hundred athletes, which is not massive for an Ironman event, but it's the World Championships. It brings the best in the world.
So it becomes more challenging when you realize that 1,500 of those athletes are coming out in about a 10-minute window. It is highly dense, and therefore, there's a lot of contact. Yeah, you don't have to worry quite so much about sighting, but it's challenging to find rhythm when you're getting hit from behind, the front, and even sometimes, believe it or not, underneath you. Added to the final component, warm water. Your core temperature goes up early, and as we know, heat stress is going to be a factor in this race, but you're having to swim, non-wetsuit, but still in water that's up in the upper 70s to lower 80s, and so that leaves you less of a refreshing, easy, smooth swim, and instead a battle of a swim. It is, for those swimmers that are coming out in somewhere between an hour and 75 minutes, the whole swim be moved around and battling. There is a great emotional and physical toll that comes with this swim that is really unique relative to many other races. We then get onto the bikes. What makes it really challenging for the bike? Well, the first part is the environment. It is just a harsh environment. If the sun's out, the sun is just beating on your back. As we talked about before, there is wind, and the wind isn't just a headwind or a tailwind. It's highly unpredictable. And in addition to it, the winds can come with different directions depending on which part of the course that you may be going on. So you might be riding down the road feeling like you're getting pushed along, and suddenly, even though you don't even notice that the curve of the road has just taken place, you can be suddenly faced with an onslaught of a headwind. There's also a lot of tailwinds and crosswinds that are coming around and blowing you over the road, making it always challenging for your stabilizers and your confidence on the bike. In addition to this, the course itself on the bike ride is, well, in many respects, somewhat boring. It's long stretches of no flat road, constant variance, constant grades that are up, constant downhills in which quite often you have a headwind so you're not going as fast as you can and you see your future ahead of you. So many places on the course you're riding your bike and you just feel like it's never going to end. And the final component that comes is the last part of the course, the last 35 to 40 miles. It is a speed-sucking design of a bike course. You see, in an Ironman race, once you get to about 80 miles, that is for most athletes when fatigue really starts to set in. And if fatigue starts to set in on this course, particularly this course, there is really no place to hide with a combination of headwind and crosswind and terrain that is highly variable, if you end up riding, quote, poorly, in other words, you don't stay focused, you don't keep tension on the chain, and you don't keep managing the terrain well, you are going to lose a lot of speed relative to your train potential. Right at the place that you feel like, I'm almost home, fatigue is in, and I just need to get home, That's when the headwinds strike, and that is the hottest part of the course. And so therefore, not only are your physical resources getting lower, but you are being taxed by the terrain, the conditions, and the heat right when you want an easy passage home. It all sounding quite appealing so far, isn't it? So finally, what about the run? You get off the bike. I've talked about the terrain, the conditions, and the run. What makes this run so challenging? Well, the first part that many people actually don't even realize, even the competitors, is there's essentially no flat piece of terrain on this run. 
In addition, there's no massive climbs really. But if you're not a master of terrain management, both on the bike and also on the run, and then you're going to be sucked out of speed. Add to this the mind twist of how the course is set up. You have about eight to 10 miles of running where you're in town. And that means a whole bunch of support, a whole bunch of cheers and guidance and support and great aid stations and maybe just a smidgen, just a smidgen cooler. And then you're sent into the abyss with less and less support by every mile. And they force you to run away from town, away from the finish line. So that's the place that you start to break. And as you go out to those famed lava fields, as they're called, that is when you're going to feel the full experience of both the heat and humidity. And that heat and humidity is amplified if, and we hope it's not, but if the sun is out. And then we're less worried about what the temperature on the thermometer says. Instead, we're worried about the temperature that's bouncing off the whole road surface, which is a whole lot of black. Lava is black, the road surface is black, and it becomes a radiant nightmare. It is piercing. This run is terribly emotionally challenging, and it is in a harsh environment. And ultimately, you're stuck with the challenge where you're trying to retain hydration status for the duration of this very long race, get the fueling to support your effort, race to your potential, while the environment that you're doing it in absolutely maximizes the inefficiencies of absorption. And this is one of the big reasons why so many struggle. So if I had to summarize the thing that makes this whole thing appealing, well, the swim, it's like being beaten with a rubber mallet while being waterboarded and having a saltwater enema. Outside of that, you get to look at fish, so that's not such a bad thing. The bike ride, well, imagine going to Universal Studios. You get to ride in the middle of the set of a hurricane movie, but the AC is on the piss. And the run, as I said before, it's like running in the sauna. But the first half, you have a cheering band singing your name, and then halfway down, you're thrown into the abyss with an evangelical preacher whispering how useless you are, and the only way that he's going to leave you alone is to start walking and stop trying. And trust me, when you're out there on the course and you're 12 miles in, you see a lot of people with their heads down, some of the best amateur athletes in the world, some of the best professional athletes in the world, head down, given up. The good news, guys, the finish line will be the greatest moment in your sporting life. So if my description goes some way to explaining the horrible challenge of this race, there must be something special that keeps bringing people back. Well, it is iconic. It is the World Championships, but it's more than that. It's the setting and the occasion. You see the town for the whole week leading up to the race, and I'm not one to be too hippy-dippy here, but there is a genuine feel to the place, in its inescapable energy. Those that can bring calm within the ever-rising and bubbling energy that, that wraps the whole town are the ones that are most successful here. It is, as they say, the Kona energy. It is real. Now, if I can say that as an Englishman, you better believe it because we're pretty cynical about that stuff. Another piece of the course that's actually quite magical is ironically the layout of the course, at least partially. 
You see, while it does take people to the depths of their soul, there is a setup here that amplifies the energy and the feeling and the magic of the whole occasion. The swim start. Now, first timers, if you are going to do this race, I want to give you a secret here. Don't let this part of the race bypass you. Race morning can be very, very busy. It can be very challenging, but this is a magical part. Take time, stop at the start line before they set you off, and look around. There is a moment in sport that occurs at the swim line of. The Hawaii Ironman. It is a magical setting with thousands of people circling this beautiful bay. It is magical. The run set is set up is also magical as well. You get to see a lot as a spectator, and you can see the living suffering. And how much suffering is there? A lot. I remember certain races. In fact, in 2012, an epic race. Where the women's race was back and forth, first, second, third, and fourth, and the coverage on TV that you saw in the weeks following showed powerful athletes battling for victory. What they couldn't show, and I kid you not here, is the dysentery and throwing up that was occurring with those athletes. It was less racing and more trench warfare, but there was something strangely appealing about watching these great athletes at the depths of suffering. You see, it's one of the only races that you can see right there within touching distance how challenging this can be, and there's some beauty that comes out of that. But finally, back to positivity here. I don't think I'm selling this very well, do you? But back to positivity, the finish line. I want to say this from the depth of my heart: there is nothing else like this in sport. The reason that people come back. Is there is nothing like this in sport? It is a bowl of natural energy, and I imagine it's the only place where the winners of the race, the professionals that cross the line and are crowned Ironman World Champions, get less of a cheer than the slowest successful finishers. You see, there's a building energy that comes at this race, and in fact, on a personal note, over the years we've brought many, many guests that are outside of triathlon that come and join us for the week, and never, ever, have we failed to see tears being shed in the final hour as they get to experience it for the first time. And this is the magic of the Hawaii Ironman. So, what about performance? Let's transition and let's think about what it actually takes. You see, I've told you how grim this thing is, but what about those that are actually trying to win the thing that are at the pointy end of the race? Well, let's talk about the professional athletes, and I'm going to give you some metrics here to try and give you some context. And for you guys that are metric heads, you might start to appreciate it. So, the 2.4 mile swim, they're swimming in a, in a About forty-eight minutes. That's a rough line of what it might be. Sometimes a little faster, sometimes a little slower, dependent on conditions. So that's averaging over the course of the two and a half miles about a minute and nineteen seconds per hundred meters, or somewhere just under one ten for a hundred yards for the duration of the swim. They get out. They run very quickly through transition, and then on the bike ride, 112 miles, averaging somewhere around 270 to 330 watts, or somewhere between 25 to 27 miles an hour. 
For the female athletes, somewhere between 200 and 240 watt average, between 22 and 23 miles an hour. And they get off sprightly in those nice conditions that we talk about. And the males are running somewhere around 238 to 245 for their marathon, which is about six minute per mile pace. Remember, that's in 85 degrees and 85% humidity, but the head temperatures are much more like 95 to 120 degrees. And the female athletes, somewhere between two hours and 50 minutes and three hours. So that's 635 to 650 pace. That's the average over the course of the marathon in those conditions without one single stretch of flat road. The other challenge for those guys is they're not doing an individual time trial. Much as you might not believe it, they are racing. You see, this has now become a bike race and it's become necessarily more reckless and demanding with the dynamics of the conditions as it has. Yes, there's no, quote, drafting in this race, but there's little doubt that there is a benefit both in terms of pacing, mental and practical when you have a group of athletes that are all sitting 12 metres apart. When that lines up, you have a yo-yo effect and not steady state racing, but instead high variance, making the whole experience even more corrosive. So we have the performance, we have the challenge. What happens in this race? What are some of the common mistakes that we experience? Well, let's go through three components here. The first, training and leading up. The second, how people, quote, mess it up in race week which is the really common place to mess this up. And then, of course, on race day itself. Well, the first in training and the lead up to the race. I think one component that occurs is a over-focus on outcomes and times. You see, the vast majority of these athletes have earned their spot to get to the Hawaii Ironman. And so they have an experience of what is, quote, good And they arrive at the race and they say, hey, if I went 10 hours in Ironman X, I'm going to set my barometer in Hawaii Ironman as about the same. The outcome and the times focus, I want to come X place, I want to do these splits, is the words and the thoughts of the folly. You want to avoid that. Instead, you want to have a humble but confident approach, focusing on the things that you can control to try and enable yourself to arrive to this race as best as you possibly can, but ultimately being fresh. And that becomes really challenging for athletes. Because of the fear of challenge and because of the fear of failure, people tend to overdo the training going in, look for validation and chase something special. So they pile on extra training, they do extra work, and they all arrive very, very fit, but fatigued. And so instead, I prefer athletes to lean into familiarity of what works, continue to nail the basics, and arrive without a fear of failure, without complacency of inevitability of assuming you're going to have a great performance, and instead trying to get into the mindset of treating it like any other day. We're going to have more on that later. But what happens in race week? Swim, bike and run their way to glory. As soon as you arrive on the island, you can feel the energy and you are surrounded with a couple of thousand of your best friends who are some of the best Ironman amateur athletes in the world. 
And what ends up happening is an underwhelming sense of panic and distraction. Way too many athletes arrive there, typically under travel duress because we're in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, and start overworking. They start to get distracted by others. Instead, the quest should be familiarity. What's the rhythm of training that works for you? What is the leading that has worked for your other races, the reason that you're here in the first place for most athletes? And stick to that. Stick to your own corner. You want to put blinders on or blinkers on, as we might say in Britain. Keep it simple, nail the basics, and don't change your rhythm or what works for you. We also have an experience where it is an occasion. It's a festival of sport. And so often I see athletes three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten times in the week. And I know, uh uh-oh, if I'm seeing them this much, they are being very, very social. Long days at the expo, checking in with friends, out a little too long. I tell you as a spectator, on race day when you walk around in this environment, it's exhausting. So if you've spent the whole week walking around the expo, spending a little more time with friends at the coffee shops outside in this environment, you cannot bring physical resources. Instead, keep it simple, do your training, and then get inside and stay cool. The final two mistakes of race week, number one, sleeping in the heat. You are already in the heat. The work that you will be doing outside are going to help you assimilate to the heat. Don't think that disrupting your sleep in the week leading up to the race is getting you adapted and ready to perform. Instead, keep it cool. There's a thing called air conditioning, something that doesn't really exist in San Francisco where I live, or I would say in England growing up, but it's a wonderful thing. Sleep, keep the environment cool, maximize recovery. And the second component, it's so basic, but people do it every time. Don't change a thing. Don't add equipment. Don't change your approach to fueling. Don't evolve your way that you eat or drink going into a race. Keep it simple. Work out what works for you and execute. So finally, what are the mistakes of race day? Well, the first one is very, very clear. Over racing. I've told you how challenging it is. You cannot overstate how challenging this environment is and yet you're surrounded by some wonderful athletes that may be fit and fatigued or they may be primed for the performance of their life it's so critical that you go in humble you pace yourself relative to the resources that you have in your day and you really avoid getting distracted by others a big mistake that occurs on race day poor self-management. It's not just about over-racing and getting distracted by others and trying to actually race the thing when you're looking to pace the thing instead. But in that mindset, it also tends to lead some really poor self-management around fueling and hydration. You've got to get the basics right. And it means early. There's no catch up in this game. You can't go through 90 minutes of no hydration and then play catch up. You are in an unavoidable hole. And the same goes for fueling also. The last two components of mistakes on race day, wandering mind-wandering, failing to control and focus on the controllables. That happens with athletes a lot at the Hawaii men. When they go through the day, they have high expectations, they get amped up by the occasion, and they start judging. 
they start thinking, oh, I didn't have a good swim, even though there's no real re insight in their information to say whether it's good or bad or not. They have a tougher time on the bike than they think, and they start changing their goals. Oh, I'll just finish. I'll just get through the thing. Or they start to analyze what's good or bad. This is a terrible mindset to fall into. You have to stay process driven here. Leave the analysis for later and focus on what you can control at every step of the way all day. It's one of the big reasons that this is such a challenging race. There's the physical preparation and execution, but there is the emotional toll of focus. And every part of this course demands focus. You don't get to cruise on this course. You have to be turned on the whole time. And that is why it is so hard. So leave the analysis for later. Don't be challenged and realize that the mission in this race never, ever changes. It's always about getting from A to B as fast as you can on the day with the resources that you have. So with the mistakes in mind, what does it actually take for success? What are some of the components or the critical components where we see athletes be successful? Well, as you might not be surprised, it's kind of the reverse of what we talked about. Getting your fueling right, understanding the fueling that's appropriate for you and executing on it, no matter what's happening around you. In addition to that, being flexible with the fueling. When you add this harsh environment, quite often your great spreadsheet of fueling may not work. So if you're losing energy and losing focus and not able to stay focused on the task, you need calories. And if your stomach is starting to feel bloated, don't keep tapping calories in. Instead, adapt, dilute with water and come back. It's all about troubleshooting. It's critical that you have your own pacing process. It's a long day. I'm going to talk about that later. But really what it is for headline news is you're not racing this thing. You are training all day. And if you can embrace that, the chances of success are much, much greater. Aligned with fueling your hydration. You cannot fall into a hole here. You see, if you were just going to go and do a marathon, you might be able to have a bit more of a drink to thirst approach. And if you were just doing the 112 mile bike ride, you might be able to go to a drink to thirst. But you're doing a marathon off the back end of that bike ride. And so your mission is to get to the end of the bike ride, not too dehydrated. You're not going to retain full hydration status, but you cannot get too dehydrated. A simple litmus is about a 1% dehydration of total body water by the end of the marathon. If you can do that, you have a great chance of success on the marathon. And to do that, you must start early and often. You have to drink a lot. The fourth component is process, not outcome, and sticking with what works for you. The whole day, as soon as my athletes start this race, we don't have a judgment on times, splits, power or pace. You see, the goal is with whatever resources you have, you have to go through the process and everything that you control over the swim, over the bike and over the run. And once you cross the finish line and probably once you had a Mai Tai and then you can take a step back and say, how did it go for me? You see, this race, beyond all other races, unless you are the very, very few, 
is a personal journey of performance. So I'd really encourage you not to overcomplicate it. Don't think what has you need to change what has worked for you before and realize what it is. It's a race that happens to be hot. And so your focus should be about how to manage that extra factor and not focus on the label of it being the world championships. And the way that you focus on that is training all day. Because if you try and race this thing, I promise you, I promise you, you are going to get into trouble. So I want to bubble out of that a little bit. I just want to home in. And the final piece is I just want to talk a little bit about the performance mindset. You see, let's dive into it's training, it's not a racing. You might throw your toys out of the cot and say, gosh darn it, this is the world championships. I'm trying to get a podium. But my reason for telling you this is this is your best chance to have your best race performance is to put your mindset into familiar training that you're repeating altogether. You see, your best Ironman ultimately is collating your best training sessions of swimming, cycling and running all into a single day. So that's why it's better to commit to your best day of training rather than trying to race the thing. There are only a very, very few athletes in this race, the very few that have the privilege to say, I'm going to race it. I'm going to go for it. And those are the people that are very, very close to eight hours or very close or under nine hours in duration for the race. So in your race week, keep things simple, keep things familiar, know what works for you, you not anyone else, no one else is is relevant in this, and nail the basics. Keep your eating familiar, keep your sleeping familiar, keep your training familiar, and allow yourself to go into this thing as much as you can in a state of familiarization. Because if you have that, you have your best opportunity to go and work all day doing the things that you know how to do, and the outcome can be very, very special. A final component in the mindset that I think is important is adversity. You see, adversity will happen in this race. It is grueling. It is nasty. And there are very few people, even the people that win the race, that ultimately have a day free of adversity. And so when it comes, manage it. Don't react to it. Don't start to analyze yourself. Don't deviate from the plan more than you have to, but take care of the things that you can control. You see, ultimately, you've got to have a commitment going into this race in the same way as you do to any other race. And it's a very simple commitment. If you execute on this commitment, when you finish the day, good, bad or indifferent, you're going to carry from it pride and an ability to objectively analyze post-race what was good and what was bad. And that commitment is once the gun goes off, your mission will never change. You have to get to the end as soon as possible. So you want to leave the analysis for later and you want to have a simple commitment that whatever the body and the situation gives you, no matter what adversity you experience, You have an unbridled commitment to maximize how well you do with those resources. It's not about outcomes. It's not about splits. It's not about places. It's a personal journey to commit to say, whatever I'm given, 
I'm going to go back to my hotel room at the end of this race, look at myself in the mirror and be able to say, I gave it everything I had. And with that, you should be free. You should be unshackled. You should be excited and not fearful because that is stuff that you can control. And that's all we can ask for. You see, you can prepare as well as you can, but we can't have answers. The best way to get to the best answer that we can is to simply commit to give our best. Simplistic, but important. Final piece, guys, first timers. Well, if you are going to the island for the first time, this couple of minutes for you. Here it is. Don't race it. Dial in the basics. Very simple stuff. Don't spend the week partying like it's 1999 and then flop on race day. Don't worry. Most of the athletes look great in race week, but the vast majority are going to F it up. You can be sure of that. Yes, there are some really fast people. You can't control them. And some of them likely you just can't beat. So don't get distracted by it. And finally, let it marinate. The swim start, I talked about that. The finish shoot. Whatever happens when you do this race, bookend this race with a highly memorable experience. And then if you're not looking for a podium, if you're not looking for a a top place finish, which you shouldn't be for your first time anyway, make sure that you enjoy the journey. Finally, I'd say to you guys, don't judge your performance here relative to any other race. This is a unique environment and a unique race. And if you're going there for the first time, you shouldn't shackle yourself with performance expectations. You should lean into having a great time and learning. And if you can go through a managed effort without the occasion going past you and an opportunity and a thirst for learning, you can hopefully create a positive platform to build from. And that's the best that we can possibly hope from. So my prediction, it's going to be hot. Many of the favourites in the race are not going to excel. There's going to be a few that surprise. The top 10 at mile 10 are going to be different than the top 10 at mile 20. And yes, I'm going to get swollen ankles just watching the race. I always do. So no matter who wins, you know who gets the biggest cheers of the day. And those are the last finishers. And so while many of you guys that go will swear that you'll never go back, within a week, you'll probably be plotting your return. That is the Hawaii Ironman, guys. It's a fantastic experience. If you're heading out there, I hope to see you out there. Enjoy it. Embrace it. We'll see you next week. Take care.